You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2009 film, My Sister's Keeper. So, this film follows a young girl. Her name is Anna. Mm -hmm. She is about 12, 13 years old. And we learn that she is what is called a savior child. Yeah, in vitro vitro fertilization. fertilization. uh, Very carefully engineered so as to help her sister, Kate, who has uh, cancer of the white blood cells, leukemia. Um, And we find out early in the film that the two parents had tried everything else to save Kate. And then almost in an offhand way, it's kind of interesting, the the doctor who's helping them and kind of in charge of things says, you know, you do have another option. You can do this. And uh, it's interesting. He almost, as he says it, thinks that they wouldn't consider it seriously. Do you notice that? Yeah. And then um, they think about it and they decide to do this with the intention of using... uh, uh, Anna's uh, stem cells and other uh, donated um, uh, uh, organs and and blood cells and so forth with the express intent of helping Kate. And it it entails a a great deal in terms of discomfort for uh, and and serious compromise of her life uh, uh, from the beginning. You know, and they, they show a film, or they, they show a scene uh, toward the beginning of that film, uh, uh, shortly after she's been conceived, where they're actually holding basically an infant down to take these uh, uh, stem cells out of her, and, and white blood cells as well. So, wow. Yeah, and this has been going on for a while, and they've done, you said they've done these procedures with her numerous times. Now she's 13, she goes to see this lawyer, a lawyer named Mr. Campbell, and she talks to him because she wants medical emancipation from her parents. She does not want to do this anymore for her sister. Yeah. And she's now suing them. So this they, they serve the papers to her, and eventually the mom, Sarah, is very upset, saying you're going to let your sister die. Yeah. And it's they're showing that her condition is getting worse. And with Anna not doing this, it's making, you know, she's not, it's, she's just, she's just staying in the hospital. Yeah. And that's getting worse. And we've seen through, and the, the film sort of changes different perspectives. You get a lot of voiceover narration from not only Anna, but also Kate, but also the, their brother Jesse, yep. and then the the two Sarah and the Brian, Brian, the two parents, right? 
And we the flashback to Anna one uh, she was there another boy in the hospital I believe has the same condition and she with through flashbacks she had a boyfriend named Taylor who had the same condition and they it's a deep romance they're greatly in love and they have this dance together for all the kids who are in that uh, ward in the hospital yeah basically they're providing them a prom because they yeah. can't go to their regular proms because they're all severely immunocompromised because of their cancers. Yes. Yeah, and then she doesn't hear from a couple days after. Eventually, her mom checks, and they realize that Taylor died. Yes. And around the same time we have these flashbacks, we now go to trial. And Campbell is, you know, he's pointing out to Sarah they have an argument that he's disgusted by what they've done to Anna. It's like, you know, she's 13. She's had all these problems. Didn't you once think of her or of her life? Yeah. And Anna, that's what Anna's saying. She, you know, she doesn't want to, she says, I have to be careful the rest of my life if I get rid of this kidney. Right. And I want to do these things, live a normal life. I don't want to, you know, have to be so cautious and careful all the time. Yes. Because they're, and they, they do a good point of emphasizing here that the reason that they're asking for her kidney is because her sisters, both of them have failed. Right. So she is either doomed to be on dialysis for the rest of her life, which probably isn't going to be too long, or uh, 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 they they could take that chance to do the transplant. They are uh, uh, compatible, so they could do that. And at that point, she argues um, that it would be too much of a compromise of her quality of life, and that's why she wants the medical emancipation. And, and if I recall correctly, that they uh they're aware she and Campbell are aware that the uh existent uh laws on medical emancipation uh only allow kids of an older age to do this and and what they're wanting to do wanting the court to do in this case is uh make an exception and possibly rewrite the rules but certainly make an exception in the case of Anna yeah, and around this time, we're seeing Kate's condition is getting worse, and the doctors pretty much tell the family that she only have a, has a certain amount of time left to live, and she will eventually die. Mm-hmm. And Brian is coming to terms with that, but Sarah is very reluctant. And eventually, there's this big scene when he wants to take her to the beach because he realizes this is probably the last time she'll be able to be out of the hospital. Sarah's angry because that's going to make things worse, but eventually they relent. And it, it goes to the case, and the big reveal is that Anna is making this decision because Kate told her. Kate's, Kate doesn't want Anna to keep suffering, having to go through this. She just wants to die. She's tired of being in, in and out of hospitals the rest of her life. She is probably depressed over the loss of her boyfriend, Taylor. So Anna is doing this because Kate wishes it. Yes, and she she's actually recognized the inevitability of the process. There There is no hope. So she's willing to say, well, in that case, uh, it, it would be uh, unnecessarily burdensome on Anna emotionally, not, not to mention physically removing one kidney, but certainly emotionally to be forced to continue with this. Uh, so she accepts, you know, I'm going to die, and it, this is ultimately my choice, she says, uh, to her mother. Um, and that is the big reveal. Although there's certain hints here, aren't there, uh, yes. throughout the film that this is what's happened when they have conversations and 
various conversations in the flashbacks, you can kind of see the two sisters have dis- discussed this before. Right, and so, but eventually, it gets to the part where the the uh, the mother finally agrees to let agree to Kate's wishes. Kate eventually passes on, and the, there's a flash forward at the very end when they go to Montana because that's Kate's favorite place, and on the anniversary of her birthday or her death, I don't remember which, they yeah. go there to honor her memory. Yeah. And she actually says, you know, when I leave, I will be in Montana. Come and visit me in Montana. And that's kind of a nice touch at the end of this film. Yeah. The fa- family goes there on an annual basis to do precisely that. Yeah. So that's pretty much the plot of the movie. And while it does have a interesting ethical debate, I, in my opinion, I felt that it was taken away from too much of uh, what I would call melodrama, mm-hmm. particularly with the flashbacks with the boyfriend. And it has everybody has sort of like this tragic little past. When the lawyer, Mr. Campbell, we find out that he's an epileptic because he has an epileptic fit during one of the sessions of the trial. So that's why he's so interested in the case, because they say he doesn't have control over his own body either. Yeah. And then there's even just briefly mentioned the main judge of the case. Her son died in a car accident yes yes but it's so not memorable because it's yeah. kind of just kind of thrown out there but never yeah. really discussed yeah and she chose she tries to have an interest in the case but it's really not that main and I, that's the main problem i have with it was also the brother jesse is suffering from some kind of depression because yeah. we constantly see him like outside the house and so what looks like something of a seedy part of town. Yeah. But you and don't really know exactly you don't what, know he's, what doing. he's doing. Like, is he suicidal? Is he trying to run away? Is he doing is he, drugs? Is he selling himself for money? Because he's the one that actually gives her the $900 or so that she offers to Campbell to be his lawyer or her lawyer. And of course, Campbell uh, does it pro bono, but they don't really, they leave that uh, ambiguous yeah, with regard to Jesse. Yeah, they're too ambiguous. You don't know what exactly yeah. is he doing. Yeah. And that's... Uh, that's yeah, what I, I feel it's taken away from. I, I agree from with you. I agree with you. It's almost like, and I know the, the original novel, uh, from what I've read of it, haven't read it myself, but it, it is also very heavy in the melodrama. Yeah, uh, we should it, point out this is a novel for teens and young adults, so ages like 12 to 15, I would say. Yeah. It even has more of that melodrama than, than the movie script, and they actually toned it down a little bit in the movie script, but... Yeah, as I was watching it, I, I, you know, you, you saw what I thought were going to be uh, foreshadowings of an, uh, a rather extensive courtroom drama toward the end. And I thought once you had the courtroom, the, the hearing begin, you were going to get some good arguments on both sides of this issue. Because you're right, it's an ethically very heavy uh, uh, situation. And one of the one of the an ethically heavy situation that has the advantage for dramatic purposes of being one where no matter what option is taken, there are significant uh, uh, moral um, uh, chasms mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, with with any position. So uh, that lends itself to the interesting uh, 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 feature of having ar- arguments that are uh, equally compelling on opposite sides of the um, issue. I think we actually saw that done in a, to a much better extent in our last film, The Rack. Mm-hmm. Um, you had 
compelling arguments, both for and against leniency for that, that man who had cooperated with the North Vietnamese, Captain Hall. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I found myself compelled when I heard that lawyers argue both sides. This never happens in this film. They're, 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 I waited for this courtroom scene. I was really looking forward to this. It's brushed and over. It's, more, like we yeah. said, more is focused on the flashbacks, particularly with the romance with Taylor. And yeah. I, I, it, you have you have to realize the main target audience. We said is twelve to fifteen year olds, particularly girls. So maybe as guys, maybe we're not exactly the target audience. Maybe that's meant to cater to. The younger audience, but still, it takes away from that ethical yeah, debate. Yeah, yeah, it really does because I, I, I could I could see flashes in the film of uh, watching it, having complete and utter sympathy for the mom, and also complete and utter sympathy for the dad. Both of them are in a horrible position. They are they are uh, both looking out for the well-being of their daughters, but both also realizing that in looking out for the well-being of both daughters, they're in this very uncomfortable position of having to compromise one or the other. There's just no other way around it. And they made, they made that commitment to have this child, uh, to put it coldly, uh, to serve the function of being an organ donor. Right, uh, either blood or stem cells, or ultimately the kidneys, and having guilt for having done so. You're treating your you're treating your progeny as if she was a commodity, almost literally going to an organ bank, right? Um, but at the same time, obviously, uh, developing the normal kind of love and attachment you have for a child, and being torn by that fact. And they didn't quite develop that enough, I think. Yeah, because I guess I know we were, we should we should look at this from a you know unbiased point of view. But when I was watching it, I was on the side I would say of Anna, particularly. They did this. They had this child particularly just so they could use, like you said, as just an organ donor, pretty much, just yeah. to do these things. And I think you should not sacrifice a child for the sake of another child. Yes, you have Kate, who's very sick. You do every obviously you do everything in your power to make sure to do what you can to make sure she's treated and she's going to be okay. Price is no object, all of that. But I don't think a child should be brought into this world just for the sake of we need you to do this. And we, especially, it comes off as pretty bad as you see her when she's like five, yeah, and she's saying, "I don't want to do this. Don't make me do this." And they're forcing, and they're forcing her to, do, her that. to that's, do it. What are you? Yeah. I, I start to lose. I start to, when I lost sympathy a little bit for Sarah when this is. This is you're putting Kate ahead of Anna. You shouldn't yeah. do that. And Sarah kind of makes the argument that uh, you know uh, if we didn't do this, we would not have been doing everything we possibly could for the uh, for the uh, sake of Kate, right? And she'd be right because there was this option available, um, and they didn't develop. I think uh, your line of argumentation that I think is personified in the case of Brian. He's 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 come to the uh, what from the outsider's perspective here is kind of the obvious conclusion that, you know, they're not treating uh, Anna as a person. Like I said, they're treating her as a commodity or a set of commodities. Um, And 
looking at it from the uh, perspective of you know somebody that's uh, familiar with uh, uh, history of uh, ethics, philosophical ethics. Uh, this is a classic case of something Immanuel Kant told us we should never do. He always says, uh, and this is almost an exact quote, always treat other people not merely as means to your own ends, but also as ends in themselves. In other words, persons. And you're right. They made this very troubling decision to bring a person into existence, but then treat her or parts of her body merely as means toward the survival of their other daughter. And it's a horrible, horrible uh, dilemma to be in. Uh, and you kind of question that doctor that suggests the possibility mm -hmm. because he does do it in a little bit of an offhand and flip manner. Um, and, you know, uh, professionals are, are, it's drilled into their heads to, to think very carefully about things you suggest uh, to patients and or, and or their families because of the tremendous uh, repercussions it'll have. And in this case, the repercussions are not only for Anna having a miserable life so far at least, but also the uh, emotional and uh, moral toll this takes on uh, the two parents and Kate. Uh, they undergo significant uh, moral injury, for lack of a better term. There's tremendous guilt here, and you can see that in the case of Sarah. Anytime anybody tries to approach her and, and say, you know, are you doing, is this the right thing to do? Uh, uh, her reactions are quite strong uh, because of that guilt. Yeah what, what not, yeah, what I'm not really didn't like about the movie also, it sort of suggests that if Kate didn't pressure Anna to do this, like saying, I don't want you to do this anymore, mm -hmm. it seems that Anna would still be doing this. Like she would do it without giving a thought's hesitation. I mean, it shows that she's selfless, but it's also letting the parents off the hook, I feel, somewhat in a way. Now, I'm not sure about that. I actually read that as being a, a kind of a, a showing... Um, Anna as being somebody of pretty high and noble character. Oh, definitely. And, but, I've... but I don't think it lets them off the hook. I really don't. Um, I, I think it, and, and they don't do this enough. This is a complaint I have enough uh, about the film. I think it's a development of the close ties these two sisters have. Uh, it's a pretty well-known fact that uh, uh, siblings have very close relationships, but in particular sisters have very close relationships. And you can kind of see they try to develop this in this film between these two. They have uh, uh, been through this for years. And um, I think Anna at some point did come to the, uh, I would say, noble and, as you put, selfless uh, conclusion that she would be willing to do just about anything to help her sister out. And the only possible way that she would not do this if her sister genuinely and sincerely told her, no, I don't want you to do that. And that that's portrayed in the film. But again, it's quick. It's quick. The dialogue doesn't go on for long. It would have been very interesting to see on top of a courtroom proceeding, uh, kind of uh, hashing out the arguments on both sides in terms of ethics and law, but uh, in terms of the motivational 
context, I think it would have been a tremendous help for this film to have that dialogue between these two sisters in isolation from the other family members and in isolation from the legal proceedings. And they would have had to done this maybe earlier in life or something like that, a couple of years before maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, again, it's like they made a decision not to do that, and they made a decision to try to, as you pointed out, um, give all of the supporting characters that really don't have too much of a role in the film some kind of background that would make you make you understand them as being sympathetic and perhaps biased. Um, but they don't develop any of those, and they did that with too many people, too many of the supporting yeah, cast. Like, I remember watching first half of the movie; like, there's five different voiceover narrations you get yeah. from practically every main character in the movie. Yeah, and well, I think what all, another eth- ethical met- uh, case that's brought up in this movie is, I would say, is the right to die. Yes, because this is and what Kate wants to do. And the two notable cases that always come to my mind in real life. One was the case of Ramon San Pedro, who was a Spanish man, who was, he didn't have cancer, but he was a quadriplegic after yeah. a diving accident. Yes. And he yeah. wanted to die. I'm not sure if his life was in danger, if he could still live being a quadriplegic, but he just wanted to die because he didn't want to be a quadriplegic anymore. And then America, 16, 17 years ago, I remember hearing this about this as a kid all the time, was the Terry Schiavo case. Yes. And... And it's it's sort of that case of if somebody wants to die, if they had, don't want to go on living, should they have that right since it's their body? Or is there some sort of religious or moral, other moral thing about ending another yeah. person's life? Yeah, and it's, there's significant differences between those two cases. In the case of Shivo, um, she actually was never able to uh, voice uh, her wishes. Uh, she went into this coma and stayed in this coma. So you had a battle between the husband and the parents, and both of them trying to make the case in the court that uh, 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 their point of view is the most likely one that Terry would have voiced if she was capable of doing so before she went into coma. On the other hand, with Ramon Sampredo, um, he was able to voice his wishes after having lived long enough in this uh, condition. He had a head injury. He was, I believe, diving. Yeah, it was di- cliff and, diving. Yeah. There was and, a movie made about it called The Sea Inside. It was yeah. with uh, Javier Bardem. And we might actually have to do that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and it severed the spinal cord in such a way that he became a quadriplegic. And I think there were other complications as well. And after many years, he just said, I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. And it came a a much more straightforward case, as you described, of somebody clearly having the wish to end his life. The state saying they have an interest in not allowing him to do so. And uh, the drama that results from that. And um, yeah, of those two cases, I'd say this film is clearly more similar to the case of San Prado. San Prado. Yeah. San Prado. Okay. But, um, you know... In talking about the melodrama, it's it in the melod. You say some people a lot of criticisms. They say this film is manipulative, and it feels weird to say this, but you would have. I would say that terminally ill teens, particularly romance between terminally ill teens, is a genre of movies now. Yeah, it is. Like there was a movie eight nine years ago called The Fault in Our Stars. I believe it's two teens about two teens who have cancer and they fall in love. 
there was five feet apart. It's not cancer, but the kids have a cystic fibrosis. And the mm-hmm. thing is you have to stay six feet apart between them. Otherwise, uh, I forget their systems become compromised or something for health hmm. reasons. But, hmm. of course, five feet apart because they fall in love. And then there was one called Everything, Everything, which I built. Well, the one girl lives in like a has to live in like a plastic bubble, basically, because her immune system has been compromised. But she falls in love with a boy next door. Yeah. So it, it people criticize this, this genre of movies, saying it feels manipulative and but I think one, if I could make a little bit of defense, since these are aimed at teens, it does give teens, you know, some sort of awareness of other teens who might have this affliction. Maybe somebody they know in high school or, yeah. you know, or in the door, next door. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. Um, we all have to think about these kinds of issues at one time or another. And the argument, I guess, in, the, in favor of these things is... You know, it's, it certainly has to be age appropriate. Uh, you wouldn't want to be introducing five or six year olds to these kinds of cases. Well, they might run into them in their own families, but um, um, certainly as uh, uh, teens develop uh, maturity and the ability to think these kinds of things through, especially with the, I'd say, with the, with the careful help of parents uh, and other concerned adults, um, it doesn't hurt to explore these issues. The maybe the source of the discomfort, though, is the um, in, in, in it's apparently in just about every one of these cases is the kind of pasting on top of it of uh, uh, romantic elements. And maybe people are a little uncomfortable with that, thinking maybe that's a little manipulative. I don't know. Um, but they uh, usually end tragically. Yeah. Like we see in this movie, but I believe yeah. I haven't seen it. But I believe Fault in Our Stars, one of them dies. So it's really doing what it like purposely trying to tug on your heartstrings yes. as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess I understand that. And there's probably also a concern uh, with a significant part of uh, the population that such stories would, in some way or another, another uh, justify suicide. And that's a concern too. And that's a big that's a a, a big ethical worry anytime mm-hmm. you have uh, prolonged suffering and people that apparently do have the ability to um, make mature and informed decisions being the ones that are suffering. And society has to ask this question: uh, Do we allow people in that kind of circumstance to be able to make that decision to cease to live? And if so, at what age? Um, and these novels explore that question. Um, but like I said, paste it on to more typically, uh, you would think, teen fiction romances. And, and, and maybe, maybe that, that is what makes it seem a little bit manipulative. You're tapping into the kind of emotional undercurrents that teens already have to get them engaged with the story maybe if comparing it to genres i mean it always like it feels weird saying this is a genre but it also kind of feels weird saying that holocaust movies are a genre yeah but it is there's a ton there's been many many movies made about the holocaust and like like certain genres have tropes like horror movies have certain tropes Holocaust movies have certain tropes. You don't. It feels weird saying this. It almost feels 
you feel like it's tasteless almost saying it, but it, there's certain yeah, there's the things to expect in a movie about the Holocaust. It's like there's certain mo- things in this to expect in a movie about teens with cancer. Yeah, and in general, it's, it's, an uncom- it's uncomfortable for us to admit that uh, uh, the movie industry and the, liter- the literature industry, uh, as it were, capitalize on these kinds of misfortunes. And uh, people write books and make movies that make money on top of these misfortunes. So that's certainly that's certainly an issue. To, to uh, it's proper to feel uncomfortable about that. I think. Yeah, one of the last things I wanted to bring up before we start wrapping up is we've been talking about this issue of the savior child. And we've both feel, you know, I, like I'm on the side of you shouldn't be doing this to you know, let the child suffer. But it seems that more people are OK with this. I was looking into it in the UK. It is legal. Mm-hmm. It's in Australia. They review it case by case, but they will give it approval. The medical board or whoever reviews it can give it approval. Yeah. And there was a poll in the US. I don't know exactly when it was taken, but it said that. Of the people, it was four thousand people, I believe, were polled, and sixty-one percent of them approved this idea. So it seems that there are actually a decent deal of people who feel okay with this. They're saying it's a tough thing to do, but if you want to save this child, you know, make also just make sure that the other one will be okay too. Yeah, and you know that I, I'd, I'd be interested to see the breakdown in in the uh, questioning, the questions as they were formulated, because I think you'd probably get different results, and not. Uh, significantly lower results if you uh, asked the uh, respondents what exactly what procedures you think should be allowed in the case of the savior children. Uh, for instance, if there were if they were conceived merely for the purposes of giving up vital organs, right? I, I think you'd have a significantly lower number of people that would approve of it as contrasted with perhaps the case where they're conceived, but essentially all they have to do is give blood now and then. I think people would be more receptive Mm -hmm. to that and say that that is less using that person as a mere means than the other uh, admittedly exaggerated case of taking one or more of their vital organs without which they couldn't possibly exist, right? Um, And I guess I I should say a positive thing about this movie is that... uh, the case of Anna, she's in the middle there. You know, you can get you can get by in life with one kidney, right? Um, and that kind of a gray area makes you think a little bit harder about whether or not these uh, parents were kind of violating that Kantian imperative. Um, whereas in the other two cases, I think it's much easier to make the case if it's just blood being drawn here and there. Uh, you're giving that save your child sufficient uh, uh, respect as a person in themselves, right? Whereas in the other case, if you're taking vital organs, you clearly aren't either because you're, as it were, um, uh, putting aside concern for that person's uh, continued life in that very exaggerated situation. Well, she's in the middle there, right? And uh, uh, they, they... they want to give you a portrayal of the two sides, I think, through the two main characters of Brian and Sarah. Sarah has little or no qualms about using Anna this way and uh, expends a great deal of energy in forcing her to do so more than once, where you can see Brian is very uneasy with this. And 
talking with Anna eventually comes to the conclusion that we can't do this anymore. Um, so they try to have, as it were, the both sides there. Um, and like I said, I, you have to give the uh, Jody Picoult and the uh, um, producers of the film credit, at least for trying to capture that gray area case. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. There you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, which episode to dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying so long, and be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies.